Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. If you could grab your seat. If you've got a Bible, could you turn to Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6. We will get there momentarily. Mark chapter 6. Now, um, fr- Friday night, don't know what you're doing on your Friday night. My Friday night was unusual because I was out at a party. And the picture will appear behind what I was dressed like um, with my wife. And the whole idea was we're going with an 80s theme and we were trying to kind of look throwback and cool. And that was my attempt there with my Goonies t-shirt, which I'm wearing now because Goonies never say die, but it's cold, so I've got something over the top. And the idea was for me to try to look cool, to try to look the part. And the problem with this for me is that I live through the 80s and I'm just not cool. It's just one of those things. I tried, I tried to look the part, but it actually works out. I'm not as cool as I think I was, no matter what I do. And the nearest I've ever been to being cool was in my early 30s. I was a staff elder at my previous church, and one of the youth group came up to me as an 18-year-old lad there, and we were having a chit-chat, and he said to me, Stuart, he says, do you know what, Stuart? And he says, what, you are vaguely cool. It was unprompted, it was just one of those moments that I have remembered, even though over a decade and a half has passed, but that is as near as I've ever been to being cool, and even on a Friday night when I tried it, I was just trying to look the part when inside I knew I'm not really cool, this is not really my scene, this is not what it is. And what we're going to be looking at today is what... Um, the problem with trying to look something on the outside that you're not on the inside and the fact that actually they don't mesh and they can't work and you actually need to be true to what's on the inside. So we've got uh, Mark's Gospel. We're in Mark chapter 6. And what we've looked at uh, last week, we looked at Jesus. He called the 12. He sent them out uh, to proclaim the kingdom, to continue his mission. He gave them authority. Uh, they were to heal the sick. They were to cast out demons. And then, and then right after that, we found the reality of this mission that Jesus was on was the death of John the Baptist. This innocent man in prison, murdered, situation was manipulated. And then Mark is laid out for us actually that service in the kingdom, the reality of it is suffering and death. And John was just a precursor to Jesus. That's what's going to happen to Jesus. We know the story. It'll happen at the end of his life. And actually, the reality of following Jesus isn't all easy. It's actually, it comes with suffering. It comes with death. And it's great timing for us because we are growing up in our faith this year. And we need to grapple with some of these uh, realities of life and what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're going to jump into our passage now. Mark chapter 6. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Verse 31. Jeremy's moved. He's there. <laughs> so Jeremy's going to be with a roving mic. We're going to read the passage. It will appear on the screen behind. So over to you, Jeremy and friends. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, 
This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, when he dis- while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but then their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored at the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on the beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever, wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, knocking stuff over. Thank you, guys, for reading that. All right. This passage contains two of the most famous miracles of Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000, which is the only miracle of Jesus that incurs in all four Gospels, and Jesus walking on the water, another very famous miracle. And the reason Mark has put them here and arranged them as us is to point to us to something bigger, point to his readers, and that is pointing back to the Exodus story. The Exodus story was the defining moment of the people of God from the Old Testament where 
God, through Moses, led his people out of slavery in Egypt and then towards the promised land. And Mark has teed this up when we looked at the um, 12 being sent out last week. They were to be prepared, like the people of Egypt getting ready for that exodus. And now there are two more instances that point strongly to that, that we find that Jesus comes as a new Moses. Jesus comes as a new Moses, and the big idea today is that Jesus is a better Moses who will lead his people out of slavery to sin and death. So Moses was the leader of the people of Israel, and God, through him, brought them out of slavery to Pharaoh and the bondage they've been in for hundreds of years, and were leading them towards the promised land. Jesus comes as a new and better Moses to lead his people out of slavery to sin into a new promised land of relationship with him, and Mark is telegraphing this for us so that we can see it in his narrative and understand who Jesus is because his gospel is all about Jesus and he wants to talk to us about him and show us who he is. And so we can look at two things. We look at the provision in the wilderness and the revelation of God's name. First thing, provision in the wilderness. We've had a banquet last week um, with Herod and now we've got a different kind of banquet. This time Jesus is the host and it has a very different take on it. So Jesus is out Um, with uh, his disciples and he says to them come away with me they've been on a mission trip they've been out preaching the gospel they've been out praying for the sick and Jesus response to their activity is you need to spend time with me it's a repeated thing come away with me and he says I want to go to desolate places which are quiet places another way you could translate that was wilderness Get away with me from all the pressure of life, from the people around it, from home, from all that. I want you to come away and just spend time with me. The greater the demands of life, the greater the need to spend time with Jesus. And the disciples had been on this successful ministry trip. Word had grown in the area. Even Herod had heard about this. Hence leads the murder of John. It's, the, it's good news. Social media was blowing up with them. And Jesus' response was, come away with me. Come away and spend time with me. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Because as they were going away, the crowd saw it and they came to him. They followed. They knew. They'd, they realized what's going on. They know that the kingdom is coming through Jesus. He sent out the 12. The message is multiplying. The mission is multiplying. And they, it says they ran after him. And as they were traveling away, they got there ahead of him, which must have been like we're going away for a bit of R&R. And as you arrive at your destination, there are crowds of people waiting for you. That must have been like, oh, crumbs, what do you do with that? I know how I would have felt with that. And so, you know, it's like there's crowds of people waiting for you when you went to get away for a bit of a break. But how did Jesus react? What does it say in verse 34? It says he had compassion on them. Compassion, this word it can also be translated mercy. It's a word that talks about coming from the inward parts, the bowels of your being, a sense of affection like a parent for a child, a deep sense of moving, of loving. And as he looks at these crowds of people, which would have filled me with horror and terror, Jesus looks at them with compassion. And we looked at this more deeply when we did the His Name series in the summer, and the Lord, one of His 
kind of nature of one of his characters is that he is uh, gracious and merciful, same idea. And so this is how Jesus feels for them. And he says they were like sheep without a shepherd, which means they were directionless, they were purposeless, they were without a leader, they were just wandering around bleating. And he sees them and he has love for them and his response to them is to teach them. Jesus primarily in Mark's gospel is a teacher. He teaches them the things of the kingdom of God. Now, often we don't get the content of his teaching. We saw it briefly in chapter 4 with the parables. But he teaches them. He wants to tell them about God. He wants to tell them about his kingdom. He wants to tell them what's happening. And Jesus gets into a teaching session, and then it says it grew late. And the disciples get concerned because they're in a desolate place. They're in the wilderness. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's just emptiness that's where they are, and it's getting late. And he says, they're not that, they haven't had anything to eat. Send them away so they can find something to eat. Um, they need to go to the towns and the villages because the, the wilderness could be dangerous at night. There's no lights. You get lost. You know, there could be wild animals around. He says, send them away. And they also need to eat. And it seems quite a reasonable response in the circumstances. Go and give them something to eat. But then Jesus challenges them. And he says to them, you give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, are you kidding us? Are you serious? It says it would cost 200 denarii worth of bread. A denarii was the wages of a laborer for a day's work. So a day laborer would have come, worked all day in the vineyards or doing building or whatever, and they'd have got a denarii. So it's 200 days wages. So that is a lot of money, and Jesus is saying, you feed them. And they're like, how much money is it going to cost to feed all these people? There are hundreds, thousands of people there, and we have a problem of a crowd of people in the wilderness without food. Which for those of us who know your Old Testament, who know the story, this is a direct kind of port of what happened with the people of God once they left Egypt and they went into the wilderness and they were without food because they'd run out on their slave masters and they were new free people but they got nothing to eat and Moses faced this problem how do I feed this great multitude of people when we're in the wilderness there are no shops nearby I can't get a click and collect to come and feed these people and so and then Jesus says disciples will you sort it out and the disciples are like, what? We can't. We haven't got the money. We can't do this. And then Jesus says, well, what do you have? The disciples are looking at the problem. And Jesus is saying, well, tell me what you've got. What are your resources? And between them, it says they've got five loaves and two fish. That's it. It's not much. It's not much. Disciples see impossibilities, Jesus sees possibilities. Right, well, you've got something. You've got something that we can use. And God can multiply even the smallest amount for his kingdom. And so he says, get them to sit down, hundreds of fifties. For those who also know their stories, this is reminiscent of Jethro's advice to Moses. How do I manage these people? Well, break them into groups. Break them into groups, they become more manageable. That's how you can lead them. So Jesus says to his disciples, okay, break them up into small groups. He takes the five loaves and the two fishes. He looks up to heaven. He blesses them. He breaks them. Then he gives them to the disciples to hand out amongst the people. The fact that the disciples don't really understand what's happening doesn't stop them acting. They still follow the commands of Jesus. They still do what he says. 
And it says they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12. What's significant about 12? How many tribes of Israel were there? 12. Again, Mark's saying there's something going on here. There were 12 baskets of leftovers. So the multiplication had fed everyone and left ample leftovers that was more than they'd started with. So they were ate, they were satisfied, and the bits they didn't eat took up multiple baskets, 12 baskets of leftovers. And so Jesus' compassion for the crowd, his teaching them has led to him to provide for them manna, bread in the wilderness, just like God did through Moses in the book of Exodus and beyond how he fed the people. And it says at the end there were 5,000 men So it doesn't specify the women and the children, so it was a vast crowd of people who would have been there who all got fed and satisfied. And what we see here is Jesus as a new Moses coming to his people, having compassion on them, feeding them in the wilderness. The multiplication of bread is like the manna in the wilderness you read about in Exodus chapter 16. And further on, Jesus is shepherding them like Moses as the first shepherd leader of God's people. He divides the crowds up just like Moses did to manage them, to lead the people. And there are 12 baskets of leftovers pointing to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jesus there, Mark is saying he was a new Moses who's come to provide and lead his people. And then we go on to the next bit. We find the revelation of God's name, verses 42 to 45. It links to the previous narrative because it begins immediately. Jesus dismisses the crowds and disciples. So he makes the um, disciples get in the boat, go the other side to Bethsaida, and he dismisses the crowd. Oh, they've had their food. No, guys, time to go home. And he takes leave of them, and he goes up on the mountain to pray. He goes up on the mountain to pray. And there's a sense of urgency in his action. Uh, Why is he doing this? Well, one of the reasons commentators give is that Jesus has come, he's provided for, he's, he's proclaimed the mission, he's healed the sick, he's raised the dead, he's, he's got his team with him, they're doing it, this crowd come, there's something going on here. He then provides miraculously for them and what they're looking at is saying, this guy is our new leader, he's coming. He's the one who can lead the people of God into the new stage. But for what the time, what was the ideal of the people of God in that situation was they wanted to throw off the rule of Rome. Rome were the problem in their mind. Rome were the one who controlled them. Rome were the tyrants over them. The Rome were the one who had them in bondages. And we need a revolutionary leader who can lead us into freedom over the Romans. And Jesus has been so keen up to now to make sure people understand what his role as a Messiah is. And we know it's through suffering and death and will ultimately lead to the cross and his resurrection. But the people of the time didn't. So Jesus is getting rid of the crowd saying, I'm not that kind of leader. I'm not that one. I'm not going to be leaning. I'm not going to be fighting the Romans. I've got bigger enemies to fight. Sin and death and what I'm come to defeat. And so he dismisses the crowd. He sends the disciples away. He goes up on the mountain to pray. This happens three times in Mark. We've seen it in chapter 1. We've seen it in chapter 6. We'll see it later in chapter 14. And each time Jesus goes up to pray, there is a significant moment in his ministry, a significant thing happening. And so Jesus goes up to pray. And then we move to the disciples. Well, what's going on with them? Well, they are struggling. They are out on the water in the boat coming across uh, the sea to the other side and it says they are struggling in my translation it says painfully 
And this word can described, this can be described, uh, used for describing uh, demonic oppression or childbirth. I'm not saying those two things are related. I'm just saying what the word can be used for to describe that pain and suffering that they are going through. So these disciples are struggling painfully at the oars, trying to get across the lake, and it is hard going. They are really finding it difficult. And what we see is that actually the separation from Jesus has led them into a place of distress. They're not with Jesus, so they're struggling. And it says Jesus came to them at the fourth watch of the night. That's between about 3 a.m., 6 a.m. The night was uh, broken up into watches. And so that's kind of the last watch before dawn. Before, so it's the, the night has been going on a long time. And Jesus comes to his people and he is walking on the water. He is walking on the water. And he is coming to them and he walks to them and he says, do not be afraid, it is I. And the key bit there is that it is I, which if you take that wording of that, that is a direct port of when Moses was at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and he sees the presence of God and he comes before him and he says to him, who are you? Who am I speaking to? And the voice from the bush, the Lord says what? He says, I am. And so Jesus has come to his people and he is proclaiming the name of God and he is taking it for himself. And he says, don't be afraid, I am. I'm here. God is here. And by walking on the water, Jesus is doing what only God can do and he is taking the name that belongs to God. So he is doing only what God can do and he is taking God's name. And he has come and revealing himself to his people. So again, Mark is saying, this is the one. This is the new and better Moses. Moses went before God and had the revelation of who he is. Jesus is God and brings the revelation of himself to his people. I am the great I am. I am the one who's always been and always will be. And I'm coming to meet you in your distress in your suffering, in what you're going through. And it says, Jesus got into the boat, and what happened? It calmed down. There's an unusual phrasing there where it says, Jesus, it, he made to pass them by. Well, what's that a reference to? It's almost like Jesus wasn't bothering with them. I'm walking on the water because I can. Have you ever tried walking on water when you were a kid? I used to do that. We'd run at the swimming pool as fast as you could and then try and go as far as you could before you went down. I spent hours doing that, never got anywhere. But Jesus is doing it like he's showing off like, yeah, I can walk on water and he's like passing by. But that's not what Mark is trying to say because in the revelations of when God comes to his people, we see it with people like Elijah on the rock. The Lord says, I will reveal myself to you and I will do what? I will pass by with my glory. So what Jesus is doing, he's not ignoring them there. He is bringing his glory to them and he is showing it to them. And they see it, and their response would be the response of most people, terror. Ah! But Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm God, I'm with you in this pain, I'm with you in the suffering, you are struggling. He says, Jesus gets into the boat, and everything calms down. Everything's right, the Lord is here, the shepherd is here, the one who has compassion on his people is here, and he comes, and he is with his people. And the disciples are looking at him. The wind sees. It says they are utterly astounded. 
And why they utterly astounded is it says they don't understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. And here's a key. The disciples had been in it. They'd been called by Jesus. They'd been sent out by Jesus. They'd witnessed him feed people in the wilderness, thousands of them, with a packed lunch. And the leftovers were there. They've seen him walk on the water to them. It's me. I am, he says. And they still don't get it. Why? Because it says their hearts were hardened. And again, this puts us back to the people of Israel in the wilderness who went through the same thing. They had seen the deliverance of God. They'd seen the plagues. They'd had the Passover. They'd had the sacrificial lamb. They had come out taking 400 years worth of back pay in terms of money. They'd come and they'd seen the glory of God come on the mountain. And how are the people of God described? Hard-hearted. They didn't follow Moses. They didn't obey the law of God. They were hard-hearted. They refused to accept what was right in front of them, what they had witnessed. And so we have a repetition again with the people of God failing to see what was there right in front of them, what they had experienced, what they had seen and been given. And it says even the disciples who were right in the inner circle were hard-hearted and they failed to understand who Jesus is and what he had done. And then we get the final few verses there, which is like a summary. We have several of these in Mark. We've seen them in chapter 1, we've seen them in chapter 3, now in chapter 6, where kind of Mark just brings a summary of what's going on in Jesus' ministry. And we see they get over uh, to the other side. They must have been blown off course because they land at Genesaret, not at Bethsaida, where, where they were heading because of the storm that had come. They moor up and the people come to them again and Jesus carries on doing what he's doing. It says he bring, they brought the sick out and wherever they heard his was from the, all the villages, the countryside, they all just flocked to him and healing happens. They try and touch the fringe of his garment, which we've seen before with the lady uh, with the issue of blood. I just touch him then I'll be made well. And what we find is healing comes, salvation comes, the message comes through Jesus to those people. And so what's Mark been saying to us through this section? We have Jesus as a new and better Moses. He is God's appointed leader. He's not just God's appointed leader. He is God himself come to earth to lead his people. He's the one who provides in the wilderness. He is the teacher who teaches God's word to his people. But he doesn't just speak the word of God. It says he is the word of God. He is God himself. He is the great I am who's always existed and always will be. He's not just the one who um, went to the burning bush and saw a revelation of God. He is the revelation of God. He is the invisible one made visible. He is the one who is present with his people in the storms of life. He's the one who can do the impossible, like walking on water. He's the one who can bring Peace. He's the one who is Israel's true teacher and true healer. He's the one who leads people out of slavery, physical slavery, bondage, but spiritual slavery to sin and to death. He can lead you through that. He is the sacrificial lamb who died in our place for the sins that we should have paid the punishment for. And he is the one who can lead us into all freedom. So what does this mean for us today, church? What are we going to do with this? How are we going to respond with this? Well, there's a few things I just want to pull out of this that try and apply this to us and how we can earth some of it. The first one, Jesus wants to spend time with you. Jesus wants to spend time with you. The beginning of this passage, how it started, 
Jesus' response to his disciples was what? Come away with me. Come away with me. Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you. He has compassion on you. He wants to know you. He wants to have relationship with you. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in or where you are. He wants to know you. And his call to you today is come away with me. Come spend time with me. It doesn't matter about the mission because the mission is about Jesus. You spend time with Jesus, you're on mission with him. And Jesus is in the situation that they're dealing with. The activity for the disciples has increased exponentially. It's like, now you go out, do it. And Jesus' response is, come away with me. Spending time with Jesus and a busy life are not mutually exclusive. And the reality is the more activity we find ourselves in, the more the need for us to spend time with him. The more our need to spend time with with Jesus. And we have a wonderful truth that he wants to spend time with us. He desires it. He loves us. He knows us. He wants to hear from us. He wants to reveal more of his character to us. Like the disciples in the boat, when he just comes in and says, don't be afraid. It's I. I'm here. He wants to reveal that to us as as his people. He wants us to know him. He wants us to spend time with him, reading his word, uh, in prayer. He wants us to come and bring our burdens and whatever it is we're carrying in our life and lay it down before him. He wants to know us. And you might be a Christian here, you might be not a Christian, but the invitation is the same. Come away with me. Spend time with me. Pray to me. Talk to me. Call out to me. And we do that as individuals. We also do it as a community. The disciples were a group of 12, and Jesus said to all of them, come away with me, and just pick one of them. I don't want to spend time with one of you. No, all of you, come. Community. We have the Sunday meeting. We have our life groups. We have church of prayer. We have our youth group. We have our school. We have opportunities to come together and spend time with Jesus and one another. And Jesus is calling us out. And so the question that begs is, do you want to spend time with him? Do you want to spend time with him? Because the invitation's there. The invitation's there. When you get an invitation to something, to a party, you have to respond. And no response is a response. Are you going to go? Are you going to do it? And so Jesus is offering that to all of us today. Second thing, Jesus will meet your needs. Jesus will meet your needs. We have two needs there in the, in the story. What do we have? We have a physical one of food. They were hungry. They've been listening to all day. They had nothing And then we have one where the disciples are out in the boat and it says they are in pain and they are suffering because they're trying to row against the wind and it's just not working. And in both situations, Jesus comes, he meets them, he reveals himself to them and he meets his people where they are. And he comes in the midst of physical pains, he comes in the midst of the storms of life and he reveals himself to them. And so whatever you're facing right now, whatever's going on in your life. Jesus wants to come and meet with you in it. He wants to meet with you in it. So it's linked to the first one, to cry out to him. Call Jesus into whatever it is you're going through. And Jesus will come and be with you in it. That doesn't necessarily mean it gets miraculously changed the way you want it. But Jesus says, I will always be with you. I will always be there in what you're going, going through. And so the question for us is, will you bring your needs to Jesus? Because even that's a 
You have to overcome your pride to do that. Am I going to call to Jesus and say, God, come meet me where I am, in my pain, in my suffering, in my physical needs, in my emotional needs, whatever it is, are you going to cry out to Jesus and bring your needs to him? And the last one, Jesus wants soft-hearted followers. Soft-hearted followers. The disciples saw everything and experienced everything. They saw two of the most famous miracles that are still being talked about thousands of years after they happened. They were right there. They'd been called personally by Jesus. You come with me. You're one of my 12. You're one of my apostles. Sent them out to do great things, but it says they were hard-hearted. They missed it, even though it was right in front of us. And there's something I heard this week. I was down in town just with some other church leaders. We're doing sort of some training, praying together. And one of the guys who was leading us in a session said this, and it really stuck with me. He said, Super spirit, superficial, superficial spirituality is not enough. It's not enough. You don't get to follow Jesus like that. Looking the part isn't enough. Like me at the party trying to look cool, didn't cut it. I wasn't cool, even though I was trying. And it's even worse when you're trying to follow Jesus because superficial spirituality is not enough. Surface level Christianity doesn't cut it. It's like the parable of the sower that we looked at in chapter four where the seed goes out and some of it lands on rocky grounds, amongst the thorns, along the path. And what happens? Dust doesn't cut it. It needs to land on the good, soft soil for it to grow. And the danger for us as Christians is we look the part and we do the stuff, but we're hard-hearted on the inside. And it's not going to work. Even coming to church, which we ask you to do, even going to life group, which we ask you to do, it's not enough just to do that. There is a, a response of heart that is required to see Jesus for who he is. And the question there is, are you willing to repent and soften your heart? Are you willing to repent and soften your heart? Some of you are coasting through life relying on someone else's spirituality. For some of you, it will be your parents. Mum and dad, they're Christians. I can kind of tuck in under that. I'll be fine. Some of you are relying on your spouse. He, she, they, they, they pray, they read their Bible. If I just stand close to them, I get covered. Some of you are relying on others, your leaders, other people around you. Well, I'm around enough Christians. It kind of their juice gets on me. I'm okay. No. Superficial spirituality will not cut it. The disciples saw it all. They were in it all. And it says they still didn't get it because their hearts were hard towards God. And so they missed it. They missed the revelation that was right there. And my question for us is, where are you with that? Is your heart hard? Are you wound up in unforgiveness and bitterness? Resentful for God, resentful for people. Here under duress, Rather than joyful abandon, I'm not going to repent. I'm going to hold on to my sins because that just won't cut it. You'll end up like the disciples. You saw all that and ended up with nothing at the end because it says their hearts were hardened. They missed it. Now, thankfully for them, we follow the story through. They got there. But where are we right now? Where are you today? Where is your heart hard that you need to repent, that you need to come to Jesus? Let's stand. 
I'm going to pray. Can the band come up? We'll have a bit of time responding in worship. But I'd just love to pray for us now. Pray for us to be men and women who come to Jesus, who respond to his invitation, who say, yes, I will come away with you, who will bring our needs to Jesus, whatever they are, wherever they're, whatever you're facing at the moment, I will bring what I've got to Jesus and I will do what I can, repent of my sin and be soft-hearted towards him. I won't give in to bitterness or hard-heartedness or just resentment or going through the motions, heaven forbid. I will move beyond superficial spirituality. I will grow up in my faith and take things a bit more seriously because that's the message of Mark we've looked at thus far. So how about you just close your eyes, open your hands. And this is not something that's based on age or gender. Anyone can respond to Jesus at any point, any time. And you'll have to make your own individual response now. You can't rely on another member of your family or the leader or someone around you. It's you and Jesus. You have to respond to him and you have to make your declaration to him and you have to come to him because the invitation is there because he loves you. He has compassion on you. So Holy Spirit of God, we pray you come fill your people. Lord God, we thank you. You've been here with us as we've worshipped. Lord God, we thank you that you revealed to us. Thank you that we've heard and seen your mighty wonders. We know lives have been transformed of all the things you've done. We read it in your word. We've seen it. The evidence is there. We know who you are. You are the new and better Moses who's come to lead his people out of spiritual slavery into freedom with you forever. Lord God, we thank you for that, God. And we pray, Lord, that we would be men and women who are soft-hearted towards you. If you know there's things you need to get right now, just confess them to God. Confess them to God. If there's things you need to pour out and say, Lord, this is where I'm at, Talk to him now. We're going to worship now. We're going to sing a bit and then we're going to carry on doing a bit more business with the Lord. So just keep pushing into whatever God's dropping in your heart. Keep engaging with him.